this morning as he comes with the word of God. Holy Ghost, we have felt you so strongly in this place. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for the resurrection and that you reached down and you loved us in spite of ourselves. I pray today that your word would go forth, God, that you would anoint pastor this morning to bring forth the word, God, that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Let us be lifted up, God. Let us hear your word, God, and apply it to our lives. I pray for a special anointing. We rebuke distraction distraction and we rebuke the hindrances in the name of Jesus we speak these things and declare these things in your name the name above all names the king of kings the lord of lords Jesus Christ amen praise the lord if you have your bibles turn with me to the book of John chapter 14 John chapter 14, while you're turning there, one thing that Brother Randy West had forgot to say about Real Men's Rally, if you are a man that is 100 years old or older, you get in free. Amen? Praise the Lord. Isn't that right, Randy? We'll do that, won't we? John chapter 14, starting with verse 8, and we're going to be all over this chapter, so keep your Bibles open just for a few moments. We're going to start with John chapter 14, our first reading, starting with verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, How have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou, show us the Father? Look at verse 21 with me now. Starting with verse 21, it says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not a scarlet, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us, but not unto the world? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. These things have I spoken to you, being yet present with you. Now look down to verse 30 with me. Verse 30, hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and he has nothing in me. But the world may, that the, but the world may know that I love the Father as the Father gave me commandments, even so I do, let us go hence. I'm going to ask today if Brother Chuck Richardson will ask the Lord's anointing upon the word of the Lord today. Amen. You may be seated. Now this morning I'm going to be doing more teaching than I probably am going to be preaching, so you're really going to have to hang with me and really listen to what the word of the Lord is saying because the Lord has truly given me a word for this church. With the Lord's help, my main focus this morning is going to zero in on and focus only on one principle. You know, a lot of times you have to understand when a pastor is preaching a sermon, he cannot touch every angle, every thought, because time will not permit it. And sometimes you have to understand the heart of that pastor. But I want to zero in on just one principle. There are many principles in this chapter. I like to preach this whole chapter to you, but my goodness, it's so rich and so full. I even skipped certain verses so I wouldn't chase rabbits and we'd be here way up in the afternoon. But my main focus is going to be upon spiritual manifestation. We're always talking about spiritual manifestation. As a matter of fact, we, the Palace of Praise people, every Sunday we make our declaration or every time we begin to preach, whether it be on a Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, whatever, we do our declaration. And the thing that the first words that we say is, Lord, today by faith we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. But what does it mean to be walking in the manifestation season? Matter of fact, what is manifestation? As a whole, the church world has always been interested in spiritual manifestation. Kingdom people look for, look for and seek after manifestations many times in the area of signs, wonders, and miracles. They desire to seek after a move of God, for God to unveil himself, for God to make himself known. How many would like to, for God to come down in this building today and make himself known, to unveil himself, to demonstrate himself, to demonstrate his power? Used to in the early church, that was 
was their hunger. That was their desire. And even in this last days, I believe that we're beginning to see again an increasing, intensifying desire and a hunger once again to see holy manifestation among his people. But the early church, they desired and they seek after a move of God and for God to just really reveal himself. As a matter of fact, nothing has changed since even the time of the great apostles. It was in our text that even Philip asked the Lord. He said, show us the Father and it'll be good enough for us. It is here that Philip is asking for spiritual manifestation. He said, let God the Father be unveiled. Let God the Father be revealed to us. And then Jesus begins to answer his request in verse nine. Look what he says. Have I been so long with you and that you have not known me, Philip? He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Why do you ask that you the Father be revealed? Now this is something that caught my eye. In other words, manifestation was staring Philip right in the face and he knew it not because he did not have eyes to see and he did not have spiritual discernment. He lacked that. And I wondered how many times do we gather into this building and just how many manifestations appear in any given service and we don't even know about it. Because our senses sometimes, our spiritual senses can become dull and we are not discerning the Lord's presence. Sometimes we want to see God's presence only in the finite way that we've always seen him by our minds, imagining a certain kind of a move. But I'm here to tell you whether you see him or whether you don't see him, I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ is here this morning. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's in our midst. And when he is being praised, you can guarantee he's gonna show up because he inhabits the praises of his people. There will be no manifestation where Jesus Christ, however, isn't preached, where he isn't exalted, where he isn't worshiped, where he isn't honored, where he isn't lifted up. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God. Do we not understand that? Jesus even told Thomas in John 14 and verse seven, he said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also, but from henceforth, you know him and you will see him. In other words, he was saying, you're gonna see the father from this day forward because I'm fixing to give you a divine revelation of who he is by my life. You keep your eye on me, Thomas, and you're gonna see the father. That's what he was telling him. And let me say this, Jesus Christ has to be the central focal point of every believer's faith. I want to tell you, there should not be a greater name or anything that turns the church on more than the name of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen to that? I want to tell you, the name, when the name of Jesus Christ becomes a board of the church, we're in serious trouble. It ought to be greater than anything that we ever speak. There's no name given under heaven among men whereby we can be saved other than through that precious name of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of Lords, and let me tell you, we need to praise Jesus Christ here today. Would you do that with me? Amen. Give him a clap offering. Jesus said in verse nine to Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and my Father are one. We have to understand that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God revealed in human flesh, in human form. As a matter of fact, Colossians 1:19 literally tells us, for it pleased the Father that in him, talking about Jesus, should all the fullness dwell. As a matter of fact, Colossians 2, 9, he goes on and says, for in him dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily, talking about the Trinity. Colossians 1 and 15 it says who's in the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature this is why it is said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 it said of Christ for who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God and I love Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 where he says who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person I want to tell you Jesus Christ is truly the manifestation of God you want to know God everything that you want to know about God is going to be revealed in the life and in the person and in the works of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ declares the Father. You want to know God? You can only know him through the face of Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Now, having said all of this, there are conditions to manifestations. We all want manifestations. We all want the power of God. We all want to experience the presence of God. We love the thrills and the fringes of his presence. We like to feel his goosebumps 
bumps on the back of our neck. We like our hair standing up. We like to feel the electricity and the aroma of his presence in any given service, but there's more to see than just them kind of fringes and thrills. There is a glory to see that is beyond compare of anything that you and I have ever seen before. It's the kind of glory that'll flatten you out on the fl- on your face on the on the ground and it'll make you melt and everything about you will understand that truly there is a God that is above everything and he is greater than everything and you'll never doubt him when you see him in the glory of his presence. But now having said all of this, I want you to understand that we have to have conditions, there are conditions to manifestation. We want them, we desire them, we want to see them, but there's conditions to them. Look at what Jesus said in our text in verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, it is he that loveth me. That's how that we truly show that we love him, by keeping his commandments. That's what John, First John says, if you say that you love me and keep not my commandments, you're a liar and the truth ain't in you. And here's Jesus saying, if you really love me, you're going to keep my commandment, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. First of all, let me ask you something. Does God love everybody? Yes, he loves everybody. But Jesus specifically said, he that loveth me shall be loved to the Father. What does that mean? That word love there means that he's going to be accepted of the Father. Did you know that the only way that you'll ever have the divine favor of God is by you being obedient and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Our favor, our blessing, the manifestations that we desire here today can only come as we yield our lives to Jesus Christ. You want manifestation of God? Then serve Christ, love Christ, worship Christ, preach Christ, serve him, do everything you can. Lift Jesus higher. He'll draw all men into his presence. Can I have an amen? Jesus is the central thought. Jesus. I said Jesus. I said Jesus, the Holy One. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's what we're going to be focused upon here in this sermon. But we see that the, we are accepted as we on the basis of Jesus. But he says, he that keepeth his commandments and keep my commandments, he's the same that loveth me, the Father loves him, and then I will manifest myself to him. Is what he said. He gave that divine promise. And then Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas, the other Judas, asked a question. Why is it that you're going to show yourself to us but not to the world? Do you know there are certain things that we're privileged to see of God that the world can't see? Amen? And Judas couldn't understand that. Why is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us, but you're not going to be to the world? Because Jesus can, because God can only reveal himself through the face of Jesus. And the people that reject Jesus cannot see the true manifestation of God. Amen? And when we accept Christ as Savior, we have divine privilege that we'll be able to see the manifestations of God that the world cannot see. So the church is a privileged church that we have opportunity, an open door to literally see and experience and live in a manifestation season along with God. Can I have an amen? Y'all are being quiet here today. Say praise the Lord for that. The conditions of manifestation is tied to keeping the commandments. Now watch this. Look at verse 23. If any man love me, he will keep my words. My father will love him. And me and my father will come in him and make an abode with him. That abode means divine fellowship, divine communion. Oh, hallelujah. I'm about to preach. I'm supposed to be teaching here today. I told myself, Kent Miller, slow down. This has got to get into you. It's got to get inside of you because the Lord's pointed into my spirit that you and I have the right and we have the ability through Jesus Christ, through the forgiveness of sins, to have sweet communion and fellowship with God just like Adam did in the Garden of Eden. That every day that we can have a manifestation of God in our lives where he comes down in the cool of the morning and he fellowships with us. I like that old hymnal that says, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he lets me know that I am one of his own. Oh, hallelujah. That the church at the palace of praise better get ready because God says you've been declaring that you're walking in a manifestation season. If you'll meet the criteria, if you'll meet the conditions, my, me and my father are gonna come down and we're gonna sit upon this place and we're gonna make a sweet bold and you're going to have fellowship and favor like you've never seen and I will manifest myself to you. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise him in advance for the manifestation of God. Hallelujah. So the condition of manifestation is tied to keeping the commandments, keeping his word. Is that not what he said? 
He that keepeth my commandments, I will manifest myself to him. He that keepeth my words, we will come and make our abode with him. Now, God is manifested through the word because Jesus is the word. And when there's no word, there's no manifestation. Because Jesus is the manifestation of God and he openly reveals himself through the word of God because Christ is the word. John chapter one, verse one and 14, we quote it quite often around here. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Now say this, and the word was God. Now look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and, we, and it dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ reveals himself by the word. Jesus openly reveals himself and makes himself known through the word of God. And where there's no study of the word, where there's no preaching of the word, where there's no teaching of the word, where there's no keeping of the word, there will be no manifestations of God. You cannot know God outside of his word, and you cannot know God outside of Jesus Christ because the word and Jesus Christ are of one. Can I have an amen? It's so important. Worship is important, and it sets the precedence for the word of God. But let me tell you something, folks. The most important thing that happens in any given service is the preaching and the declaration of the word of God. You cannot have manifestation in worship alone. You've got to have the decreed, declare preaching of the word of God. Can I have an amen? Because the word is Jesus Christ. Now that's old preaching and they don't preach like that anymore. But I want to tell you that's why we don't have manifestations anymore because we don't have a people that is a word people. Amen. We need to get in the word. Now this is why that John 15 and 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be given unto you. There's conditions on you even receiving favor from God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That is a condition. And you receiving from God is contingent upon whether or not his word abides in you and you abide in him. Those that keep the word, those that follow his commandments have Christ actually manifested in their life in two different ways. In the life of the believer, God's manifestation either comes by, it either comes by demonstration or by sanctification. Now, them are the two areas that God begins to reveal his presence and his manifestations in the life of the believer. It's either through demonstration, say demonstration, or sanctification, say sanctification. Let me expound upon this. Though that most of us in this building have heard the word of the Lord, we have accepted Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has been revealed to us. We've repented of our sin, we've accepted him as Lord and Savior, and we have become born again. And even though the spirit man has been redeemed and forgiven and cleansed, set free and come alive through the regeneration of life, that dead spirit that was inside of us has become alive in Christ. The spirit man has become new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new in our lives. And even though that we have new desires and new heart, new ambitions, yet I want to tell you something. The flesh man, the outer man is not yet glorified. I will show this outer man is not glorified or sanctified like the inner man that come alive through our born again experience. The body of sin, the flesh man is still intact and very much alive and is still very much influential in our lives, even as believers. You as a believer have a outer person, an outer man, it's called the old man, it's called the man of flesh, and let me tell you, he can give you a headache from time to time. We now have a new spiritual life that's been born again, placed inside of us by regeneration, but now it's in conflict and it's in competition to this outer man, this outer man of the flesh. The outer and the inner man are at war with one another. Can you say amen? That's why that Paul said in Galatians chapter five, verse seven, he says, for the flesh is, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to the other. What my inner man desires to do, my outer man opposes. What my outer man desires to do, my inner man opposes. So we have a conflict where I have two different kinds. Have you ever been around somebody and said, that's Jekyll and Hyde, they got two different personalities. One day you see him and, oh, how are you? And the next day, ah, he's grumpy and he's grouchy. And he's got two different kinds of personality. Every single one of you have that problem because you got an inner man that's sweet, that's regenerated, that's made new, but you got an outer man that stinks. He's ugly. He's mean. He's vile. He's corrupt. He's sinful. Can I have an amen? Amen. Somebody slap somebody on the side and say, that's your flesh and it ought to hurt. Amen. <laughs> Paul here just reveals that after one gets saved that there's a war, there's spiritual conflict to living your salvation out. The hardest thing that you and I have to do is live out our salvation. 
It's easy, simple to come and accept Jesus Christ as Lord, ask him to forgive you, and he does on the basis of simple faith in him. You're saved, but let me tell you something. When you get up off that altar, the hardest thing that you'll ever do is try to live that salvation out. We have to learn how to walk it out. We have to learn how to live it out. Amen? We have to learn how to put in action what the spirit man has birthed inside of us. And that's very hard when you got an outer man that is opposing everything that you do by the spirit. We have to learn how to live by the governing of the spirit man instead of being governed by the flesh man. This is why that Romans 8 and 5 says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but those that are after the spirit mind the things of the spirit. Whatever we yield to is what we're going to actually put into practice and, 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 to, and, to, and to walk out. That which is inside, the spirit man, has to become the dominant rule and reign of our lives. The spirit has to rule over the flesh. This is why the Paul said in Galatians 5, 16, he said this, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Learn how to walk in the spirit. Learn how to let the spirit man take charge. Learn how to have sanctification under the will of the spirit instead of a yielding to the outer, outer works of flesh. Now let me tell you, when he tells you that, he said to walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of your flesh. That's harder said than done. Or easier said than done, I should say. It's hard to do. It's hard to live out that which has been born in you. Even though the spirit man is born again, saved, redeemed, and forgiven, yet there are many acts of consecration that we all even have to make even after that we are saved. A lot of people don't see that. Well, I'm forgiven, I'm saved. Yeah, you are, you're forgiven, you're saved. But you still have an outer man that has to be brought under subjection. And there are still things and areas in our life that as we grow and mature, we have to learn that there's things that is inside of you are connected to you through the flesh man that's not conducive to your Christian walk and they have to be presented to God as they're revealed in consecration. And let me tell you folks, and I'm just gonna get ahead of my notes, there'll be no demonstration without consecration. Hello? There are many things of the flesh that we'll have to crucify, that we have to circumcise, take a a knife, the sword of the spirit and crucify and cut away in order for the spirit man to be able to rule over our lives. This is why that Paul said in Romans 12 verse one and two. He said, I beseech you therefore brethren. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. Just like in James chapter four, this blows people away when he says, oh, draw nigh unto me and I'll draw nigh unto you. Yes, that's how we get there. Drawing nigh to the presence of God. He'll draw nigh to us. And he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the sinner, the unregenerated. He's talking to the church. How do I know that Paul's talking to the church here? He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. Now, I want you to understand that just like physical life, after birth, there comes growth. I got a little grandson over there by the name of Whitaker. He's cute, he's beautiful, he's gorgeous. You know why? He looks just like his grandpa. And actually, he looks like his mother, thanks be unto God. But the truth of the matter is, I expect him to grow. I expect him to mature. Even so, when Christ comes into our lives, we have to grow and we have to mature spiritually. Our surrendering ourselves to him in consecration provides opportunity to, for us to grow in him because consecration provides a way of growth. There is no spiritual growth outside of the context of consecrating. There is none because it is as I consecrate myself to God that in sanctification that God begins to reveal himself to me. Amen? How many wants Jesus to really come and come alive in your life? Raise your hand. You really want it? then you better get ready because God's going to make you put a knife to some things. He's going to make you do some concert. Oh, we want it by coming to an altar. Woo, give me the gifts. Oh, give me, let me be Pentecost. Oh, let me have a thrill. But God says none of that's going to happen until you learn how to consecrate those areas in your life that you're ignoring that's weak and beggarly. That there's got to be righteousness in the house of God. There has to be an act of consecration. You're not gonna know God outside of consecration. You're wasting your time if you're trying. At Calvary, we give him our lives. At consecration, we give him our bodies. There's a difference. At, at Calvary, we're giving him that, that, that inner man that's dead and trespassed sin he makes alive. But at Calvary, we present our bodies as living sacrifices. 
Our surrendering and consecration ourselves to him provides the best way for his life to grow in us. Did you notice I didn't say it was a way for us to grow? God don't want you to grow. The worst thing that God could have is a bunch of Kit Millers running around. The best thing that God could have is for Kit Miller to be dead and the life of Christ growing in him to be revealed. And the thing that God's out to do is not make your life live. He's trying to make his son's life live in you. To be manifested in you and through you and by you. Oh, hallelujah. Now, we'll get into that later, but that's where the demonstrative works come into play. That's when he begins to demonstrate himself, not through sanctification, but by demonstration. Our consecration is what activates this life function that gives us the sense of God's life in us, that we're aware of who he is. We're aware for the first time of who we are in him and who he is in us. I want to tell you, if we could only see how much God loves us, if we could only understand what God wants to do in and through us, I blow our minds. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor is it entered the heart of man, the things that God's got prepared for them that love him. Amen. God's got more prepared for you than what you desire to have for yourself. We're always sitting around, oh, I want more, I want more. And God's saying, you're not wanting more than what I want to give you. Then why is it not happening? Because we've not learned the art of coming before him in consecration. Now, let me, let me expound. Without consecration, we may not feel like that certain things that are wrong is wrong. And without consecration, we're unable to see whether something's of God and whether something's not of God. Consecration, there is no, there is no spiritual senses outside of consecration. You come to know God in the context of that consecration. And as you come to know him, then you begin to decipher what's right, what's wrong. It's odd to me how that you can have a congregation, you'll have a whole group of people say, that's wrong. And you'll have a whole other group of people that'll say, that's not wrong, that's not, well, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Who's right? You know who I'm going to go with every time? The people that are consecrated. The people that know how to walk it out. The people that know how not just to talk it, but live it. You know, there's all kinds of things that people battle about lifestyles in this 21st century of what's right, what's wrong, from the outward displays of flesh to the inward principles of the spirit. There's all kinds of things that people are arguing and questioning whether or not that is feasible for a Christian to do. And I could, I could start naming things from one extreme to another, the things of the flesh from tattooing all the way to certain kinds of piercings that come from pagan countries. And we can, we can argue that all we want. But let me tell you, folks, when you really get to getting in those life issues, I want to tell you there is a right and there is a wrong. And this gray area is because we, when we don't know whether it's right or wrong and we're teetering and we're questioning, it's because our senses are dull and we've had a lack of consecration and we don't have the discernment that is needed to discern between right and wrong. The church ought to know what's right and what's wrong, what's black and what's white, white and what's sin and what's not sin. If the church don't know, then how in the world are we ever going to win the lost? Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah anyway. Look at me and say, I still love you, Pastor. I hope you do because I'm not done with this sermon yet. The more that I obey God and grow in divine life through consecration, the more real and the more practical the spirit way of life becomes and the easier it is to live out. When I first got saved, there were some things that was hard for me to lay down. Now I don't have a desire for them at all. It ain't even a struggle. Why? I've grown in consecration. That which was once hard is no longer hard. Amen? When I first got saved, I smoked cigarettes, and that's one of the things the Lord put upon me. There's another question. Was smoking wrong? You gotta find that out for yourself, but I wanna tell you it was wrong for me, and the Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, your, temple is the, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't do things that's destructive to it, and it was an outward witness. It's not profitable, and it's not expedient for you as a believer, and he started in on me. That was my own conviction, and you know what happened? I struggled for a long time in that area. And one night, God took them things away at an altar through much hard prayer and seeking his face. God literally, literally delivered me and ridded me of that. But I want to tell you something, folks. It was only delivered as I consecrated myself to God. Amen. And now I can't stand the smell of the things. 
Amen? I can walk in a place, whoo, somebody's been smoking in here. Amen? You get around people and they walk by you and they're used to it. You think, man, that, they've been around smoking their home or whatever. The more real and practical the spirit way of life becomes and easier to live out as the more you consecrate to God because the spirit man rises up and it's taking crow and the old man's dying out. It's crucifying itself. We all have to admit that even though that we are saved, how many saved in the building? Well, I got a few people in the church saved here today. Even though you're saved, there are still things that you are in need of consecration. Don't be pious, don't be ignorant, don't be stupid. You're saved, but there's still a work in progress in you, or if there's not, you're in trouble. You're not gonna hang on to your salvation very long. Hello? And even though we are saved, all of us are, have still much work that needs to be done, and I said all of us, even me. There's still works that as I grow and mature and I get to certain places, I am now able to handle the revelation of God that needs improvement. And thank God he didn't show me everything that I needed to work on after I was saved. I tell you what, I would have never made it. But thank God he shows and reveals a little at a time, a little at a time. And right when you think you got your act together, here comes God. So, oop, this little attitude right here needs to work on. Oh, God, you're always critiquing me. And you know what? You know when he's going to stop that? When you die and go to the grave. That's when it's going to stop. There is still much work for God to do in us to conform our thoughts, our feelings, our decisions, our inner dispositions. Did you know he has to temper some of our attitudes? He has to adjust some of our motives. He has to redirect sometimes our thinking. He has to purify our speech because some of the things that we do, folks, are influenced by the flesh. This man's still alive. As long as this man's alive, I'm constantly in work in progress. We are all far from our whole being being transformed in the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. How many feel like they've arrived and they're just like Jesus? If you do, would you please come and see me after service and start praying over me? Amen? This is why the Paul said in Romans 7, 8, 19, listen to what Paul said. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, not in his spirit, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I got a desire to do good, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not do, I do. Did you hear what Paul said there? This is the apostle Paul, folks. Listen to what he said again. There are times even though I want to do good, I find myself doing what I don't want to do. How many have ever found themselves doing that? I've got some honest men, amen. And when I try to do good, evil is present, then I find myself doing the things that I ought not do. That's what he says. Paul admitted that there was a time in his life when he struggled in this area called consecration. How many of you are struggling right now in this area called consecration? We all do. Because the things that need consecrated, we want to ignore, we want to push aside, we want to justify, we want to make excuses for, we want to justify our weaknesses by our strengths. Well, I'm strong here, 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 here. But the problem of it is you can have a cake and you can have all the ingredients of the cake and take one ingredient out and see what kind of a cake you have. Hello? One ingredient can change that whole cake. Amen? And let me tell you, you can have nine strengths and one weakness nullify everything that you had that was strong. Amen? There are people that are truly got some things in order, but one thing just automatically ruins their witness because they've not quite got that consecrated unto God. Did you know that Paul even admitted that Satan buffeted him? Did you know that Paul even admitted that Satan hindered him? Well, how, if the apostle Paul had Satan buffeting, if the apostle Paul had Satan hindering, how much more do you and I have to fight with this devil? And how many things that they've arrived to the place that the apostle Paul is? My goodness, he's seen him on the road to Damascus, a bright light. And my goodness, he's seen Christ, a literal manifestation that changed his life. But even after that, he still had things he had to work on. Amen? He still had to consecrate himself. So how does this life of Christ manifest himself in a life that's struggling with issues? Aren't you glad just because you're struggling, you're not thrown away? If those that struggle are thrown away, this church would be empty. I wouldn't be able to preach today because there's areas I struggle in. If you don't believe me, ask my wife, but I'd rather that you don't. My wife used to always say, I want to tell you, they just think you're a darling, but they don't live with you like I do. Amen? And the truth of the matter is, folks, there are things in our life that is strong and positive, 
and God is well pleased in them and he's anointing them and he's giving us divine favor and he's blessing us and he's using us and anointing us. But don't stop growing or if you don't keep consecrating that which he reveals to you in the time and season of conviction, then that which is strong will be negated. Amen? This is a growth process. And it is a spiritual maturing process. Since God will only work in us if we allow him to do so, he's not a dictator. He will not force himself on him. One of the words of the Holy Spirit is Holy, Holy Ghost, which means Holy Guest. The Holy Spirit is a guest. He will not come in where he's not wanted. How I many know God's not a dictator? He's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. We have, therefore, to present these flaws to him. We have to admit them. We have to confess them. That's hard, especially for men. Women are more, they're not as prideful as men, but men have a hard time going before God and kneeling down and saying, God, I've got an issue. I'm weak in this area. Matter of fact, I, I've sinned in this area. I confess this sin. I'm weak in this. And that is the way that we consecrate it before God. But if we don't come and get to a grip and come to the area, this needs to be consecrated and presented to him. God cannot ever take it away because God is not going to force it and God's not going to take something out of you that you don't present to him. You know one of the greatest scriptures I like is when Paul said, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's waited for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give unto me that day and he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him. You know what Paul admitted? That God can only keep what you commit. His life was kept and preserved. Why? Because he committed it to God. And there are areas in your life here today that God's going to start putting spotlights on. Boom, boom, boom. He's going to say, deal with this issue. Deal with this issue. Deal with this issue. Deal with this issue. How many have issues in your life? I'm going to start meddling a little bit, okay? How many have issues in your life where all of a sudden you find yourself doing some things and you're being convicted and man, you're wrestling it and you're fighting with it and you're tinkering with it and you're entertaining it and, you, and all of a sudden you, whoo, you get away from it and you have a season of victory only for three months later, here it comes again and that's a repeat over your life. And each time it comes back, it gets a stronger grip, a stronger grip. Before long, you find yourself, instead of tinkering and looking and observing, you kind of become like a David who looked at Bathsheba up on a balcony and he struggled and he'd look at, he'd go the next day at the time of bath and he'd look again and he'd struggle. The next day he'd go again. You know, the first time he went by and he looked up, whoo, what a pretty woman and he struggled. But the problem of it is he kept returning and kept returning before long instead of looking, he's got her in bed with him and committing adultery and getting her pregnant. And the problem of it is you may have a, something that you're just tinkering with right now. If you don't get that under the blood of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what'll happen to you. Six months from now, it'll come back with a vengeance. You'll overcome it for a little bit. Later for a few months, it'll come back again. And each time it comes back, it gets a stronger, strong hope. Strong, and before long, instead of entertaining it, you're participating in it. And then when you're participating in it, you become enslaved to it. And then as you become enslaved to it, you backslide on God altogether. That's so sad. It happens all the time. So much of the time we see people that get saved and they don't grow for years and years and years and years and you know why? It's because they never give God permission to work himself into them, into, into themselves his purpose. They never present their flaws in consecration to God. They want to ignore them. They want to just act like they don't exist. They don't want to have to deal with them. Folks, when God reveals something to you, it's for you to deal with. It's for, and when he exposes or puts lights on stuff, it's for you to take notice of it and say, hey, I got a problem here. This is a thing of the flesh that ain't to condemn you. It's God loving you and drawing you and saying, hey, I want to manifest. God's manifesting himself to you in the, even in his conviction. And now it's up to you whether or not you're going to give him permission to work in your life in that area. As a matter of fact, Paul learned how to overcome it because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I but Christ living within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I like that. I'm living this in the flesh, he said. I live by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, he said, I have learned in my life how to let Christ live his life in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He don't even live his own life. 
He said, I'm crucified. Paul's dead. The flesh man's dead. But I've learned how to let Christ live in me. And now the apostle Paul has got so sanctified and consecrated that he could look at a congregation and say, follow me even as I follow Christ. I've got this thing worked out over an age and over a period of time and through the critiquing and the consecrating, the sanctifying, me and the Father has worked it out and he's saying, I have learned how to crucify myself to the point that Christ's life is living in me. Hallelujah. Our problem in Pentecost is we're always looking for the manifestation and demonstration but not in sanctification. We like the power of God. We're, we're kind of addicted to it. We like wound those laying on the hands and those declaring and decreeing and prophesying and we like, we like laid out in the spirit and we like to see the manifestations of open display of dancing. Them are all wonderful. They're all great. They're demonstrative acts of God. Remember I said there are two ways God manifests himself in the life of the believer through demonstration and sanctification. There are also two places to fight the enemy. We fight him either on a battlefield or we fight him in a courtroom. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute and then we're going to close. The battlefield is the place of demonstration. It's where we don't fight flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. We're out on a battlefield and this is where that we as the body of Christ is demonstrating the power of God. This is where what we take our God-given authority that God has given us and we demonstrate his power and he manifests himself through us. How many likes to be used of God? Come on, how many likes to be used of God? How many is really wanting to be used of God? Nothing wrong with that. I love to lay hands on the sick and they recover. I love to see people blessed and people touched. I love to see people come up with demonic strongholds and you break them through the power and the anointing of your life. I love seeing that. That is working out in the battlefield. It's when you have the anointing and, 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 and we lay hands on the sick, they recover. We invoke the name of Jesus and demons flee. We bind loose things on earth. We speak things that are though they're not, as though they, we speak things that are not as though they are. We anoint with oil and things happen. We rebuke the winds of opposition and they cease. We see signs, wonders, and miracles following us. We break the yoke of strongholds through the anointing that God's given us. We do this because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How many is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Then you can expect the demonstrative works of God to work through you. Greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. That's what he said. I love the demonstrative acts of God. They're wonderful. This is where you're used in the gift of healing, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, where you're used in the word of wisdom, discerning the spirits, and the word of knowledge, where you're used in the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongue, and the prophecy, the nine gifts of the Spirit. These are all manifestations of God through what we call demonstration. And the body ought to have that constantly. Every giving service there ought to be a demonstration of God. God's mighty acts through somebody ought to be on display right here in the service. Amen? However, many times before we go to work for God, we have to allow God to do a work in us. In every house there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor, whether you know it or not. Paul said in every house, talking about our temples, he said, hey, there's gold, silver, and precious stones. If you're a believer, you got gold, you got silver, you got precious stones, but you know, you got something else too, wood, hay, and stubble. In every house, there are things of honor, there are things of dishonor. Boy, I wish I could preach. Man, I ain't got time to finish this. In every one of your lives, there are good and there's access to bad. There's honorable things and there's dishonorable things. There's things that is convenient and there's things that's not so convenient. Amen? Come on. There are weak beggarly things of the elements of flesh and there are strong and mighty things by the power of God. Every one of our lives, my life included, possesses both wood, hay, and stubble and also gold and precious stones and silver. The problem is that many times we're trying to fight on the battlefield where we have no authority to do so or no right. You know what? We know that Jesus walked and manifested the Father in everything that he did. He operated in divine unction and power of the Holy Spirit while living in the flesh here on the earth. We know that demons knew who Jesus was. They yielded themselves under his divine authority. Acts 10, 38, how that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus had power over the devil. Amen? 
How many knows that Jesus has done that? How many knows that we've seen him casting out devils? We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him open blinded eyes. We've seen him making the lame walk. We've seen him healing the leper. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in John 21, 25, it says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, and if they were all to be written down, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books because it could not contain them all. Jesus done so many things that folks, if they were written in books, the world couldn't even contain it. That's how many miracles Jesus did. He demonstrated who God was through his works. He told John the Baptist and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of them, he said, if you can't believe, believe for my very work's sake. Amen? I demonstrate God. I reveal who God is through the power of demonstration. But Jesus also revealed himself in sanctification. He unveiled God by demonstrating his power in miracles, but the key to his life and his ability to reveal the Father is seen in verse 30 and 31 of our text. Look at it. I'm coming to a close. These are the last two texts I'm going to read. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. Put that on the board if you can, verse 30 and 31. I want them to get this. If they can, I don't know if they can. Hereafter, I will not talk with you much, for the prince of this world come, and he has nothing in me. There it is. Look at it one more time. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me. What does that mean? Let's go to verse 31. But the world may know that I love the Father. How's he going to know that? The, the world, how's the world going to know that Jesus loves the Father? As the Father gave me commandments, even I do them. Okay? His ability to demonstrate the power of God was linked to the fact that he kept the Father's commandments and everything that God had commanded him to do. Jesus even said, the prince of this world comes. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about the accuser of the brother. He says, he comes to me, but he cannot point his finger at the slightest sin or any area of my life where I failed. Jesus never gave access to the enemy in any area of his life where he could claim victory or defeat. Jesus kept his life surrendered and sanctified unto the Father and his will in all things at all times. Amen? I wish I could say that. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.21, Jesus did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Matter of fact, 1 John 3 and 5 says, and you know that Jesus was manifested that he would take away the sins of the world in, who, in, in, in him whom no sin dwelt. Jesus' will, Jesus' will was to do the will of him that sent him and to finish his work. Now, I'm building up to something. Hang on, I'm, I'm about done. Jesus' life was fully dedicated to the will of the Father and to obey his commandments. Jesus not only revealed God by demonstration, but he revealed him in his sanctification. It was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed this prayer in Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. Watch. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. Now watch something. This is where Jesus sanctified his will to the Father. This is where he went into an act of consecration. Though Jesus was sinless, yet he still had to consecrate. Hello? Did you hear that? Though he was sinless, how many is born again and saved and sinless? Then you still have areas of consecration. If Jesus had to sanctify his will, how much more do you and I got to sanctify ours? Amen? Now notice, we see that Jesus' desire, oh, this is hard for people to swallow. I'm gonna have people call me a heretic right here. There were times when Jesus' desire and will was different than the Father's. Amen? Say, oh, that's impossible. No, it isn't impossible. Oh, his spirit man wanted to do the will of the Father, but in that garden, he said, hey, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Well, it was not the will of God for that cup to pass by him. Jesus is trying to get out of suffering. He don't want to suffer. That flesh man is opposing him. That flesh man screaming. That flesh man don't want nails in his hands. That flesh man don't want nails in the feet. That flesh man don't want a crown of thorns to pierce the brow. That flesh man don't want cat of 39 stripes, the cat of tails of 39 stripes, lacerate his back. He don't want to suffer. He don't want to carry the cross. He want to have to die in agony. That flesh man said, I don't want this. This is Jesus. How much more does God command us to do something and our flesh says, I don't want that. 
I don't want to lay it down. I don't want to quit. I don't want to turn my back on it. I want what I want. That's every one of us. Hello? That's you, that's me. And Jesus is here saying, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup be removed from me. I don't want to suffer. Jesus struggled in the flesh just like you and I. The scripture even says, this is what you're not going to like. How many know that there are empathetical sufferings where Jesus suffered for you where you will never have to suffer in those areas? He was wounded for your transgression. He was bruised for your iniquity and the chastisement of his peace was upon him. You don't have to suffer in those areas because he took that. He's a substitute on the cross. Amen, aren't you glad of that? But let me tell you, there are also sufferings that you and I have to suffer for him. And, the, and he says, First Peter says, and we suffer with him that we also may be glorified together with him. And the Bible even tells us that we are to suffer following his footsteps as a good soldier. Now watch this. The scripture even says that he, as he was sanctifying his will, that he was in agony. It's not an easy thing to do. Can you imagine Jesus Christ, the son of God, in agony, struggling? Struggling, in agony. Don't let the devil condemn you over struggle. Jesus struggled. The first time you start struggling, the devil says, you might as well do it. You know you want it, and if you want it, you're already condemned anyway. That's a lie of the pit of hell. Just because my flesh wants it and I'm struggling and fighting, that fighting is saying and declaring, I don't want what the flesh is offering. It's showing the very intent of my heart. But the enemy comes by as an accuser of the brother and he sets in on you. And well, you're nothing. You're not saved. You're not even real. You're wanting something that you know that you shouldn't have. And he sets in and before long you buy into that garbage and you feel condemned. And because of condemnation, I can't live it. I don't know why I'm struggling so hard. And before long you give into those lies and you go right back out and you operate in the flesh. Jesus struggled. Now watch the scripture. I want you to read it. Luke twenty two forty four. And being in agony, say that. Being in agony. He prayed more earnestly. <laughs> He's sitting there fighting. He's not completely surrendered the will yet. How many's ever been right there at the threshold of surrender? It's the hardest point is when letting go. The hard, hardest point is just surrendering it, giving it up. Oh, we fight for a long time at altars. The amount of time that we fight at the altar is determined by the, the, the ability to yield. Some of us, I have fought things at altars for years that it took me a while to give them up. Amen, I told you about my smoking. It took weeks and weeks and weeks going to an altar every time and weeping over that thing and crying over that thing and the enemy pounding on me and yet that struggle was a sign that I, Kent Miller, was saved and I desired to do what God told me to do but I'm struggling in it. I am fighting this thing. And to say I'm fighting means that the righteousness of God is imputed upon me because of the desire that I'm not giving in. Oh, I may have occasionally slipped up here and there and God's grace was covering me because I was repenting of it. The righteous man follows seven times, but he gets back up and gets back up and gets back up. And you know what? Every time he gets up, he gets up stronger and stronger and stronger until he gets to the seventh time. And the seventh time is the number of completion. And all of a sudden, it's at that seventh time that you yielded and you're sanctified. And now it's no longer hard for you to do it. Those of you that are struggling, praise God for you. I'm your biggest cheerleader. But those of you who have given up, you're in trouble. Amen? Now watch. Here's Jesus, sanctifying his will. His prayer is not my will be done but thine. This is evidence that Jesus' will at this particular point was not as the same as the Father's. But when he came out of the garden, he had settled it. I love this. Are you ready for this? He settled it. When he walked out of that coming, he said, let us be going for the Son of Man must be lifted up. <laughs> and Peter tried to protect him. He said, put it down, boy. The Son of Man's got to be lifted up. Don't try to keep me from being crucified because you savor the things to be of men and not that to be of God. Don't do that, Peter. I've done struggled this out. I've done sanctified to the will of the Father. And matter of fact, he tried to teach his disciples to do the same kind of a thing. They couldn't even pray and watch for one hour. Amen? He's in the garden. He comes out. He surrendered his will. Notice that Jesus didn't take the authoritative approach to try to yield himself to the cross. 
In other words, when he first felt the temptation not to obey God by going to the cross, by the flesh man not desiring to do so, he didn't say, I bind you flesh. I rebuke you demons. I rebuke you devil. No, he didn't do that. He didn't try to demonstrate the power of God in that place. When the temptation came to abandon the will of the Father's will of the Father by going to the place of death, Jesus didn't rebuke any spirit. He didn't cast any spirit out. He didn't go into binding, loosen, speaking those things that are not as though they were. He didn't try to decree. He didn't try to declare. Why? Why didn't he use demonstrative acts at this time? Jesus understood this. This is a principle that I'm gonna close with. Jesus understood the will that is not sanctified to the Father's will cannot demonstrate the spiritual authority in that area. In other words, sanctification always has to proceed. Demonstration, it has to go before. It is the, because, because a demon, a, a sanctification is the forerunner of demonstration. In other words, this is what God told Joshua. You remember Joshua, Joshua 3, 5? And Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will show you great and mighty things. God says, when you sanctify yourselves tonight, guys, Tomorrow, God's going to reveal himself in mighty and wondrous ways that you have never seen because of your sanctification. There's going to be a manifestation done because of your sanctification. When they crossed the river to go into the land of Canaan, because of their sanctification on this side of the river and them going through the water, and then when they get on the other side, it is then after the sanctification takes place that they start operating in the demonstrative power of God. Amen? Now watch, I want to show you something. Sometimes it's not a matter of sin that hinders us, it's a matter of will that hinders us. Jesus didn't sin, but his flesh desired something other than what God wanted. But in order for Jesus to gain the right for spiritual authority to accomplish and demonstrate God's will in his life, he had to consecrate himself. He had to first surrender his spirit, then through the demonstrative act of God, he began to conquer the enemy. Watch how I know that. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Did you hear what it just said there? How did Jesus overcome the enemy to go to the death? He sanctified his will to the Father's will and then he did not do it in his own power but as he sanctified himself to the Father's will, he offered himself up on the cross through the eternal spirit. It became demonstrative. It was an act of the Holy Spirit power upon him to drive him to fulfill the will of God. You cannot fulfill the will of God in yourself. It's impossible. Your flesh won't let, as much as you have a good intent, as much as you like God, I want to tell you without consecration, you cannot win against the wiles of the enemy. It's not by power of mind, but by the Spirit. And the Spirit cannot anoint you and you cannot have demonstrative acts of God without that which you are trying to demonstrate be first sanctified to God. Amen? And then look at the next verse that I want to reveal to you. Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That which was hard and a struggle became a joy. The Bible says... The author and the finish of our faith, the author and the finish of our faith, I'm, I'm trying to hurry because of time. He's seen through, who for the joy that was set before him. Well, it wasn't a joy, you remember he was struggling one minute, but now it become a joy. How did it become a joy? Because he had consecrated it before God. There are two battlefields that we gotta talk about and I'm gonna quit right here, promise. There's the battlefield of demonstration, but then there's times for example, you might have old uh, Gary here. Hey, I thought of your name finally. Might have Gary here, just, you know, a spirit of lust come upon him, and that ain't an issue for him. He's not fooled around with it. He's not tinkered with it. He's consecrated his body unto the Lord in that area. That demon of lust come up to him, and wham, it hits him, and all of a sudden, he just rises up under the authority of the righteousness of God. Says, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Get out of here. I loose you. And get you. you have no authority over me. And bam, through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that thing's crushed. Amen? But maybe you have old Mike here who has a problem where he's just tinkering a little. Or he's being, he's, it's just been a struggle in that same area. And in that same area, he's, just, he's having a rough time. And the enemy comes up and then old Mike all of a sudden says, in the name of Jesus. But the problem of it is, 
He don't have the authority to do that. And he's leashing upon himself more than what he can imagine because Ephesians tells us, don't give place to the devil. And when we have given open access to the devil in our lives through areas that's not consecrated, then it robs us of the God-given authority to actually come against that spirit. So now Mike can't command that spirit to go away because behind the scenes, he's got this struggle going on. He's got this demon attaching to him and he's been maybe, you know, entertaining it, looking at it, flirting with it. Maybe he's not partaked of it as of yet, but he's given open access as the devil has open access. Then therefore, he robs him of the spiritual authority to operate in the demonstrated power that this man has over the same spirit. Amen? And you can go on and on and on. Maybe a spirit of jealousy. Maybe it's a spirit of strife. You know, you can go on and on and on with the different kind of scenarios. And the thing that I want you to understand is that when you have that problem, when the enemy comes up against you and it's in the area of your struggle, don't try to rebuke him or you'll become like the seven sons of Scavia where that demon will say, hey, Paul I know, Christ I know, but who are you and that demon will tear you alive because you don't have the authority to do so and therefore you're not protected by the blood of Christ. Amen? Am I preaching all right? Now let me show you what happens. What does a man do like Mike? Mike has to go to the courtroom, not the battlefield. Huh? Huh? Woo! Because you got a God, you got a Christ who can be touched with the feeling of your fervor. He struggled the way you struggle. He understands. He was in that garden. He was tempted in all points like you are. Therefore, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Here comes Mike. Instead of fighting like Gary, he falls on his knees. He says, I got an area in my life that's been revealed to me. This is where he has to, the Bible tells you to agree with your adversary. The adversary condemns you. You're a lustful man. You're right, I am. Amen? When the, when the, when the devil comes and tries to convince him he's a lustful man, you can say, you're a liar. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See the difference? But now this man has to come and he falls down on the ground and he pleads for the blood of Christ. He presents his weakness. He presents his flaw. He presents that area where he's vulnerable and he says, I need the blood of Jesus. I need to consecrate this unto you, God. Hallelujah. I love that. But here's another beautiful thing. Come here. Come here, Mike. Now, I hope y'all don't think that I think Mike's doing that. Two ugliest men in the church is going to help me do a little illustration right here. Here's the man that's got lust under control. He's the righteousness of God. It's not an area of weakness, but listen to me. He's got another issue. He's got a problem in the area of jealousy. Here's Mike. He's got a problem with lust. But he don't have a jealous problem. Hello? When that jealous spirit gets a hold of him, he just, I bind you, I rebuke you, you ignorant thing. Get out of here. And boom, it's got to go. Watch this. Here's a man that comes to the throne room, says, I'm weak, I'm vulnerable in this area. I got to have help. Oh, but here comes a man of God to help bear the infirmities of them that are weak. He has the demonstrative power of God and he lays hands upon him as he's at the court, at the throne room and he begins to intercede and he begins to bind and he begins to rebuke and a two-cord straw, two-cord cannot be easily broken. Can I tell you? Now there is an agreement, there's a fellowship. The weak and the strong and the strong shall bear the infirmity of the weak and now you have Christ interceding and before long this man overcomes the spirit of his lust. But hold it. But now all of a sudden in that same service, this guy's at an altar because he's got jealousy. But the same guy that's got a lust problem, he's anointed in the area of overcoming jealousy. He's got it under the blood. He's got it everything intact. He's got not a jealous bone in his body. Wham! It reverses. So he needs Mike as much as Mike needs him and there's no room for him to condemn Mike because God, Mike in return could condemn him as well if need be. Y'all can sit down. Amen? 
Don't go around pious. Oh, I'm anointed and I'm, boy, I'm powerful. Let me tell you, because everybody in this building can find a flaw in you and the very area that you got the flaw in, you need other people to help you get through it. Just like Mike needed help from, Gary, Gary needed help from Mike. I'm closing with this thought. Third closing. I close for God the Father the first time, God the Son the second time, and the Holy Spirit the third time. Don't ever be working with somebody down at an altar that's struggling with alcohol or drugs or lust or jealousy and tell them, rebuke that thing. Don't tell them to rebuke it. Don't teach them how to rebuke it that time. Teach them how to yield and submit, how to consecrate. Because if you teach them how to rebuke and they don't have the authority to do so and they get out on the battlefield, they're gonna become wounded real fast. The enemy will overtake them. Would you stand with me? You can tell I ain't got to preach a lot here lately. I'm not making this altar call long. I just want you to examine yourselves. And you know the areas in your life that are weak and beggarly, the things you're vulnerable in, the things that, that you know this has been in my life for quite some time. It keeps returning. I get victory for it a while and it keeps returning. I'm just weak. I, I've not really fully got victory over that as of yet. I want you to get that in your mind right now. Now I want you to close your eyes right where you're at. I want you to start consecrating that to God. Start coming before his throne room. If you feel led to come up here, we're gonna pray for you. I've kept you long. That's why I'm not having an altar service. And this altar is open. We'll stay here as long as you need to, but for the sake of other people, I'm just gonna let you do that on your own. I'm not begging you. I'm not pleading with you. But if you're sincere about needing to consecrate something here today, folks, you can't, you can't just put it off. Be real about it. Say, here I am, God. I'm vulnerable in this area. This is an area of weakness in my life. I don't even know how to submit. I don't even know how to yield it, but I come and I plead the blood over it. Father, I'm wanting to sanctify my will to your will. And don't just try a little old two-minute prayer. It ain't gonna work because Jesus agonized in doing his sanctification and you'll agonize in yours. It'll be a trip after trip after trip and the longer that you do it and the more that you submit and the more that you overcome it and finally when you get sanctified of it, that's what's become a struggle will become easy because it'll become easier to live out the thing of the spirit after you sanctify it to the will of God. Oh, I love you, church. And I pray that you'll take these issues that's in your heart today. And I want you to start coming early before church and praying over them. I want you to get sincere over them. I want you to present them before the Lord. I want you to pray at home. I want you to read the word of God concerning those issues. I want you to get scriptures concerning those issues. Let God manifest himself to you about those issues. And constantly consecrate those areas. And then the areas that you are strong in, I want you to not be condemned by the other, but start operating in the demonstrative power of the Holy Spirit that we might reveal the manifested presence of God. For the palace of praise is in manifestation season. I love you. And I want to see the best for you in Jesus' name. God bless you this morning. Go homes, consecrate those areas to God in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed.